be turning in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, I had plans on uh, completing chapter 41 tonight, but that's not going to happen. We're just going to cover the few verses with uh, Joseph's promotion as leader. Been covering Joseph for the last uh, few weeks, and as we deal with him, we deal with somebody who had been done wrong, and he'd been done wrong by a number of people, been done wrong by family members, been done wrong by people that he had served. And yet we find that he always stayed on the upside. And he did that without Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them were the called according to his purpose. He did that without 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He did that without being able to read from the Psalms with the possible, well, no exceptions. He wasn't able to read from the Psalms at all. And uh, he was able that in the midst of all of his trials, in the midst of all the letdown that he had had from people that he should have been able to trust since he had given them such good service, you would think that eventually he would end up turning bitter, but he doesn't. He's got his eye on God. He doesn't have a full Bible like we have at this particular point in his life, but he does right. What's our problem? Why do we hang on to things that keep us from being all that we can be for God? Now, as we looked at last week, you remember that Joseph gets called before Pharaoh. He's told them Pharaoh's dream. He's let him know what's going to take place, that there are going to be seven great years, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. Now, that's the message from the dreams that God had given Pharaoh. So we pick up the story here, and let's go to verse, uh, in verse 34, now verse 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man, discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, And let them gather all the food of those good years that come up and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Now, I'll just stop right there. Here's a side note. Do you realize that Joseph is responsible for instituting a 20% tax? So he did get even with the Egyptians. But that wasn't the point. It was needed in order to be able to make it through the seven bad years. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen 
and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And Ron Hamilton was standing in the crowd. He heard that, thought that'll make a great, great song. And he made me, he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paaniah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. These truths ought to challenge us to make decisions in our life. Ought to make decisions about being faithful to God regardless of the circumstances that come into our life. Serving others regardless of how we may be treated. Lord, teach us some things that we will apply to our own lives. And Lord, we'll thank you as you deal with our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to review a little bit, he has suffered one injustice after another. His brothers wanted to kill him because of both hatred and jealousy. It would have been good if Jacob had not been so naive about his children. He perhaps could have headed some things off. But you see, Jacob came from a family, you'll remember, of Isaac where he was the favorite son of the two sons of he and Esau. He was the favorite son of Rebekah. And his brother was the favorite son of his father. And now he does the same thing in his own family. No wonder we end up with the kind of problems that we have here. As a matter of fact, we find three times back in chapter 39, God said of these people, he said, and his brothers hated him. And they also envied him. It is a formula for evil to be done. The amazing thing with all the things that are done, when he sold into slavery, chapter 39, verse 2, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. In verse 3, it says his master saw that the Lord was with him. When he goes to the prison house, again, we read that the Lord was with Joseph. And don't forget that his time as a slave and his time as a prisoner equals 13 years he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery down in Egypt. And as we just read here, when he gets exalted to the number two man in Egypt, he is 30 years of age. That's 13 years of not very good conditions, of terrible treatment. That's what he got. In the prison, God blessed him, but God did not set him free. We're not talking about a month. We're talking about years. What is time to a prisoner? I mean, he's in prison. Count the days? I don't know. He didn't have a particular sentence. He could have been put to death. Uh, everything and yet nothing when it comes to time. Now in a moment, it seems, he goes, he, the favored son. You remember, that's how he started out as the favored son. He went from that, that to be the hated one in a hole in 37 and verse 24 the serving one to slavery in chapter 39 and verse 1, the pure one put in prison, chapter 39 and verse 20, 
to the forgotten one in fetters in chapter 40 and verse 23. Is it ever going to get any better? The only promise that he has is a dream, actually two dreams, that God gave him when he was younger, of his mother and father and his brothers bowing down before him. That's all he has. But he had no doubt that that message was from the Lord, and it appears that he had no doubt that God was going to fulfill it. I can't tell you how many times in the ministry when people have been going through a rough patch or have had some terrible things happen to them. Well, they've said this to me. I don't see how God's going to work this out for good. You don't have to. It's what we call living by faith. God's going to do it. He does not require our approval. God knows what he's doing. And when he does it, he does it right. Always, you can count on the Lord. Well, he gets promoted now. Number two man, I want you to notice, first of all, his promotion to service. Joseph has served Pharaoh with no promise of any support or help. He was serving Pharaoh literally by taking care of the other prisoners in the prison. Now, Pharaoh had not hired him. Uh, Potiphar had put him into that prison. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And we find that Potiphar had put the baker and the butler uh, under... Joseph. But he is serving Pharaoh. He's working for Pharaoh as he's taking care of the prison, even though he's a prisoner during that time. Notice that here is a pagan king demonstrating faith in divine revelation because Pharaoh has a dream. Now, I wonder how many times in his life that Pharaoh had dreamed a dream. I've dreamed thousands of dreams in my lifetime. Some of them were stark and seemed very real. And some of them I forgot as soon as I woke up. As a matter of fact, when I dream one of those dreams today, I have forgotten most all of it by the time that I have gotten into the kitchen to get something to eat and have trouble remembering. I just know it had an impact. But this dream, why? God got his attention. And he's paying attention to it. And when Joseph tells him that only God interprets dreams, he accepts that. And he makes an amazing statement here. For instance, we have Pharaoh's qualification for this service. If you look in verse 38, it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom, now look at that, whom the Spirit of God is. Now that term God In that passage, whenever you see the the G-O-D in the Old Testament, that is the term Elohim. When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that's Elohim. And so he's talking about the God of Abraham. He's talking about the God of Isaac. He's talking about the God of Joseph. Evidently, he recognized, just like Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Potiphar recognized that God was with Joseph, so Pharaoh recognizes that the Spirit of God was in Joseph. Now, when you start thinking about qualifications for a job, after all, there's job fairs around here, and there are certain jobs, you just have to have certain qualifications, or they will not even consider you. Well, what would it take to be considered the number two man in a nation? Let's just think for a second about Joseph's qualifications. Number one, he was a Hebrew. And we know from what is said later on when his brothers come to visit him that the Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. 
more than likely not a top candidate for any job in Egyptian government just by being a Hebrew. That's not all. We look at his resume and we also see that he was a slave. He had been a slave and of all things sold into slavery by his own family, by his brethren. So he's a Hebrew, an abomination to the Egyptians. He was a slave and his last job was he was a prisoner. Qualifications for the number two man in all the nation. My, if they would have had the 24-hour news channels, I'll guarantee you the pundits would have been blasting away at Pharaoh for the next seven years till the famine came and they found that they needed what Joseph did in order to get some food. But the key qualification, and it's a good qualification, is that the Spirit of God was in him. I started a Christian school back in 1978. I went to Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church, Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee, didn't have a Christian school. The closest one was 30-some miles away down in Waverly, Tennessee. And we had bus some of our kids down there. Well, we started at, not through high school. I don't think we started through high school, did we? Didn't we? Did we all the way through high school? My wife says we did. Her memory's better than mine, even though she's older than I am. And uh, anyway, we started a school. Well, one of the things that we had to do was we had, I had to hire teachers. So what would be the qualifications of a teacher? Now, some people think, well, they got to have a teaching certificate. No, you don't have to have one in the Christian school. Okay. Uh, does that mean then it would be a, a secondary type of school? It wouldn't be as good as, as no, no, not at all. Our first qualification for a teacher in a Christian school ought to be you got to be saved. you got to be saved. I don't want some heathen teaching my kids. I want somebody that's saved teaching my kids. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if the person doesn't have the fear of the Lord, they don't even have the very basis of knowledge to teach kids. That's why we got the evolutionary mess and the non-gender mess and all that that we've got in the schools today. There's no fear of God. I could preach on that for a while, but not going to. Secondly, they have to be a member of the church. Thirdly, by the way, the gift of teaching is given to believers in the local church. Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gift of teaching. They have to have the gift of teaching. They have to live a separated life. Not on, then, after those four things, saved, member of the church, separated, gift of teaching, they, then we look at their educational background. Are they more intelligent than the kids they're teaching? If they're not as intelligent, then they need to sit in the desk and the kids need to teach them. I can remember, matter of fact, the first kindergarten teacher that I hired. Now, this lady, sharp lady, she was a deacon's wife uh, in the church there. And she worked uh, down at the county, down for the uh, county commission, did a lot of work down there. I asked her, I said, would you, would you like to teach kindergarten in the Christian school that we're starting? And she said, uh, Pastor... I, hardly anybody knows this, but I don't, I don't even have a high school diploma. I said, do you think you could teach kindergartners? She said, I think I can. She was a Sunday school teacher, and she was a good one. You say, no, 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 they, 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 they've got to be able to check certain things off. I got news for you. There are people that got their certificates and everything, and they can't pass a grade or a test on the grade level that they're teaching. 
It's pitiful. And I've run into a whole lot of people got those certificates. They got a lot of knowledge up here and they can't teach. Has anybody here ever had a teacher that was super smart, but they couldn't teach anybody? Man, is that a boring classroom. When you've got that kind of a teacher that can't teach. So those were the qualifications for being a teacher. Pharaoh only had one qualification, the spirit of God. Man, for a pagan king, he's showing some smarts here, isn't he? Not only that, we see Pharaoh's appointment in verses 40 and 41, when it says, Thou shalt be over my house, according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled, only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee, I get this, over all the land of Egypt at this particular time. Egypt is the most powerful empire in the world. And he's going to be made the number two man in the entire empire. Almost unbelievable. I mean, Pharaoh could have made him the secretary of agriculture. But he puts him over everything, over the army, over everything. The only person with more power than Joseph is Pharaoh. That's it. That's almost unbelievable. Makes him number two. So he put Joseph over Pharaoh's house. He had been over his parents' house and had a coat of many colors. And he had been over Potiphar's house. And remember, his coat was snatched from him. He had been over the prison house. And now he's over Pharaoh's house. And he had proven faithful in every appointment that he had. I want you to get that. He was faithful in every appointment that he had. We don't find a grudge keeper here. We find a servant here. Man, we're all about, we're all about holding things against people that we believe have done us wrong. That's not Joseph. And that's one of the reasons that God used him like he used him. Be faithful in whatever task God gives you, and he will exalt you in due time. Now, there's a second part to the appointment. It's that he put him over every Egyptian. Now, you realize that that kind of power can ruin people? Some of you have worked at jobs where a person that was your equal got appointed to a position above you, and suddenly they became a tyrant to those that were underneath them, you included. Joseph could have done that. Here's his opportunity to get even with the Egyptians that had wronged him, but he doesn't do that. He is a good leader. He's a good leader because he knew how to service. It's not about power. It's about service. He was schooled in adversity, and he was schooled in sorrow, and that, train, that training brought him to the place where he could be used for what God wanted him to be used for. If you look at those things as God's training ground, saying, I want to pass it, I want to go on to that next step that God has for me, then treat it like the school. Uh, you know, we have a curriculum, for instance, for our seminary. And in the seminary, you've got to get so many credits before you can graduate. 
But it's the same for everybody that comes in. The credit number is the same. Now, doesn't mean your length of time in school is going to be the same. We had people when I went to Tennessee Temple who crammed four years into seven. And uh, so they were there longer than other people. Wasn't much cramming that was going on, was there? Some people a little slower than others. But wait a second, in God's school, he doesn't tell us how long that is. I mean, at least I could tell when I was going to school... I could look at my credits and what was coming up that I could take. I could tell when I was going to get out. Joseph had no idea when he was going to get out. And this was a tough school that only seemed to continue to get tougher. And yet he took it. Not only that, we see Pharaoh's timing. In verse 46, and Joseph was 30 years old. Who would pick a 30-year-old to lead a country? Now, we understand that places where there, countries where there have been kings, that the normal follow-up leader to that is one of their family, is one of their children. For Israel, that got them in trouble a number of times. I mean, there were even a couple of kings who became kings when they were still children, and they were head over the nation of Israel. But here he picks a 30-year-old. It's interesting when a church starts looking for a pastor. Everybody's got an idea of how old the pastor needs to be. Well, let's see. We need somebody that's at least 40. But we don't want anybody that's 55 because he can't be here very long. But what if he lives till 90? He could still be there a long time. And by the way, look at all the wisdom that comes along with getting older. For some people, for some people, they lose all the wisdom they have when they cross a certain certain threshold but listen I'm, I've known of churches they don't even want to consider anybody under 40 to be their pastor Charles Spurgeon by the way in England was pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church with a congregation running over 5,000 when he was 18 years of age it is not about the age The Spirit of God was in him. That should have been enough. They could have picked a real old, real wise guy 50 years of age. And he couldn't have done what Joseph did. It's about the individual. It's not about the age. And when it comes to pastoring a church, I mean, there's no pastor when he takes a church, knows how long he's going to be there. Uh, God may have him be there for two years and take him out. May have him be there for 10 years and take him out. That's in the hands of God. He may move him along to someplace else, whatever, but that's in the hands of God. We have, uh, by the way, I really think, had he gotten out of the prison much earlier, he'd have simply returned home where there'd have been more problems with his brothers and his family. God has, God has perfect timing. Perfect timing. But the only ones that get that are those who live by faith. The only ones who get God's perfect timing, if every young person would understand that, wait for God's time. It's going to be different for everybody. When it comes to finding a mate, wait for God's time and wait for God's person. Don't settle. Get the one that God has for you. God is always right. There's a constant lesson throughout these lessons on Joseph. And that's the lesson of waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 28, 16, he that believeth shall not make haste. We live in the I got to have it now age. I got to have it now age. That's how people get in trouble with debt. 
They borrow money for everything. They get stuff that they want because they see it and they don't need it. Matter of fact, when I do premarital counseling, that's one of the lessons that I deal with. I deal with this matter of money and not getting into debt. You don't need in two weeks what it took 30 years for your mom and dad to earn and get. Wait on the Lord. We just learned to wait on God. It's exciting to see God do great things. How many parents have ruined their children by giving them ease in their station? Children ought to be taught to work. They ought to have a job to be done every week, and they don't necessarily need to be paid for it. I'm not saying it's wrong to give them an allowance. I'm just simply saying if they've got to be paid for every job they do, then all you've got is simply a wage earner. Children are part of the family. They need to bear part of the burden of the family. They need to have set jobs to do, need to see to it that it's done. Instead, our kids are great at playing video games, but they're not great at knowing how to work until the job's done and done correctly, and that's the parent's fault. It's the parent's responsibility to see to it that they have work to do in the home and the parent's job to inspect it. Hey, this is great stuff. We move on. The providing for the service. Chapter 41, verse 42. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand. It's amazing what Pharaoh does for Joseph in this. It says, and he put it upon Joseph's hand, arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. Uh, The Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh without thee, shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh gave him six things. He gave him a ring. I'm going to give you six R's. He gave him a ring. He gave him a robe. He gave him a rank. He gave him a ride. He gave him a reputation. And he gave him a romance. I'm, I didn't come up with that myself. I read that from somebody else. Somebody said, that ought to be in print. That's where I got it, in print. <laughs> he gave him a ring. Why is that important? Because the ring had the seal of the kingdom on it. And all the authority behind that, any note that went out, any declaration or proclamation that went out, the king put his ring down in the wax on that proclamation and that gave it the authority of the king himself. So he gave him that ring demonstrating his authority and he needed it because he's going to make decisions that are national in scope. How about the 20% tax? That's national in scope. Do you think anybody probably was a little put out about that? A 20% tax? Well, I wish we only had a 20% tax. Wouldn't that be nice? By the way, do you know that when they went to pass a national income tax back in the, uh, let's see, well, it's talked about for a while, but it's back right in the very beginning of the 1900s when they talked about an income tax and they said it's only 1%. How could any be upset with only having to give 1% of their income to the government to take care of the bills? Now, one statesman stood up and said, but if once we give them the authority to do that, it's easy to make 1%, 10%. Don't you wish that we only had a 10% tax? And now everybody feels like they can just give one. Hey, let's get back to the scripture here. Authority. What's he doing? He is giving Joseph what he needs to get the job done. Now, remember, there's a Pharaoh later on in the days of Moses that's going to give 
jobs for the Israelites to do without giving them the materials that they need to get it done. But here's a Pharaoh giving him what he needs to get the job done. The Bible says, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. He gives us what we need. And then he gives him a robe. Now, it says here in the passage, vestures, and the idea of vestures are special robes, uh, vestures of fine linen, the apparel of a statesman, because of who Joseph would represent. Who does he represent? He represents Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is giving him clothing to represent him. We are children of the king. We are ambassadors of the Lord of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. We ought to look like it. We ought to act like it. I mean, when people would see Joseph coming, they could look at him. He didn't look like a prisoner. Absolutely amazing how many believers have adopted the dress and the speech of the modern day. And they look as vile and shabby and dirty as most of our society does. When you're a child of the king, as a matter of fact, you've got a lot of these emerging churches today Seeker-friendly churches, I don't even know that we use that term anymore, but who've got pastors that are tattooed from head to toe, and they look like they just got out of the prison. What a horrible representative that is of Jesus Christ. Here he is to stand up in the pulpit to represent Christ. Now, it'd be one thing if he was like that when he got saved. It's another thing to claim to be saved and absolutely mark yourself up like that when the word of God forbids it. Stopped preaching and went to Midland there, didn't I? We move on. Gave him a rank. Notice in verse 42 again. He says, and uh, put it upon Joseph's hand, arrayed him in vestures, and then it says he put a gold chain about his neck. Now, this would have been the chain of royalty. I'll remind you that in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5, verses 7 and 9, when he interpreted the handwriting on the wall from Belshazzar, that he was given a chain which marked him as the third ruler in the kingdom. It was a chain that when you saw it, this belonged to the king. Nobody else would be wearing it. He'd just come from the prison house where he had worn a different chain one that was fetters about his feet. This one is around his neck, and it tells everybody, here is a lofty prince that has come. Because how you look does say some things about you. And it's either telling the truth or a lie. How you dress, how you act, all of that. Salvation makes us a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, 1 Peter 2, 6. Our walk should reflect our rank. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And notice the point that is made by Paul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, after talking about the second coming of our Lord, in chapter 14, he talks about the times and the seasons, or in chapter 4, and verses 14 through 18. In chapter 5, verse 4, he says, But ye, brethren, 
are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, he says, Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. And then he gives him a ride. Notice in verse 43, and he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. Mr. Management just was in the prison house. That's where he'd been for a few years. And he's a slave before that. And now he's riding right behind Pharaoh. And people are bowing to him. Now, whereas the ring and the robes recognized authority, the ride recognized a claim. Uh, God, had, God said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, he said, them that honor me, I will honor. And Joseph has been all about honoring God. Joseph has not been about getting even over his hurt feelings. Joseph has been all about honoring God. Each situation that we have is simply another opportunity to honor him. Now compare that idea with our Lord. In Philippians 2, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. You see, the way up is down in God's economy. And he's got him down. Now he's got a ride. By the way, he also gets a reputation. And his reputation is found in the new name. The Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, verse 45, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath Paneah. Now, there's some discussion in the commentators about what that name means. As you know, most every name has a meaning. Although I've seen some today that you wonder what could possibly be the meaning. It looks like they took a Scrabble game, reached in, got a bunch of letters, threw them out, and that's what they decided to name their child. No name at all. I still remember talking to one young lady at a, at a store here in Huntsville, and uh, she had on her name tag, it said Sky. I said, Sky, is, is that what your mom and daddy named you? She said, she said, no. She said, well, what did they name you? She said, well, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> really? She said, I have trouble spelling it. So I just have everybody call me Sky. I think that poor girl. 
course, that's still not as bad as the one that I met in Manchester, Tennessee. We were out knocking on doors, and I introduced myself. I'm Mike Allison, pastor of Temple Baptist Church here in Manchester. And your name is? And she said, Raunchy Carter. And I said, Raunchy? I said, is that what your mom and daddy named you, or is that your nickname? She said, no, that's what mom and daddy named me. I said, how in the world can a... Can mom and dad look down at a precious little baby girl? Let's name her Raunchy. Man, they had to be high on something, don't you think? That's pitiful. Anyway. But the word may mean salvation of the world. And obviously a lot of people, not just Egyptians, are going to live because of what Joseph's going to be doing. I believe the next one is the best one, and that's revealer of secrets. Because he was able to reveal for Pharaoh what no one else could reveal. And some have said that it means the prince of the life of the world. After all, his reputation of being a slave and a prisoner wouldn't go far. But he gets an exalted name. And that name has a message to the Egyptians. This man is the revealer of secrets. This man is a prince of life. By the way... Your God, if you're saved, your God has given you a new name. A new name. Now, you don't know what it is yet. But I'll guarantee you it's not going to be some funny name. It's going to be some name that glorifies our Lord. There are things that should not be once named among the believers. And we have a responsibility to live up to our new name. Then he gives them a romance. Now, notice in verse 45. It says, and he gave to him, uh, him to wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So he's given a wife. Now it's interesting, the Potiphar's wife tried to get him to lewdness, to be morally unclean. Joseph was willing to wait. He waited for God's timing. He waited for God's provision. And it's interesting, later on, he's going to have two sons, and he's going to name them with names that mean something as well. The first one, he's going to name Manasseh. Because here he is now, number two to Pharaoh. He's got a whole lot of stuff going on to help the people, and God has exalted him a lot. And he names him Manasseh, which means forgetting. And he said, because God has allowed me to forget all those things of the past. There are a lot of people need to have their own Manasseh. They need to forget a lot of things of the past. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I've met too many people that they wear the wrongs that have been done them like some kind of metal, and they've got to make sure everybody knows how many people have done them wrong. You need to get over yourself, and you need to get over them and get on with your life. All that stuff does is make you bitter and unable to have decent relationships with people. Get over it. Joseph was able to get over it. By the way, the name of the second son, Ephraim, means fruitful. And God definitely made him fruitful. Better to have God make you fruitful than to simply 
<laughs> do things to try to get it done yourself. Let God take care of that. You put him first. Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Sure, he'd been done wrong in his life. He decided to forget it and move on with each step of the way and just move on and do right next and do right next. Don't you wonder about that butler that forgot Joseph for two years? Suddenly, Joseph is called up. Joseph is now number two. He's over every man in Egypt. Do you think that butler every word? I hope he doesn't remember me. I mean, he had the power to do far more to him than what Pharaoh had already done. I wonder how many people wondered about this man being a Hebrew. What is he going to do for us? By the way, in Psalm 119.71, the scripture says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Did you get that? It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Jesus said in the book of Luke, it is impossible but what offenses would come. You can't go through life without offending others, and you can't go through life without being offended by others. So get over it and live. Get over it and live for the Lord. You know, carrying a grudge, all that does is make each day a burden. Leave it there. Just forgive it. Get on with life. What a message. What a promotion he gets. Every area of life has been covered except restored fellowship with his family. But that's going to happen. God does everything in order, in his perfect time, and it may be another 10 years before he's going to see any of that. But that's all right. That's going to mean he's going to be 40, 17 when they sold them off into slavery. And when he meets them, and finally when he reveals himself to them, they are scared to death. And he reminds them, and he does it more than once, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Would you allow the wrongs done by other people to turn about for good in your life? You're the one that has the authority to do that, not the people that did you wrong. You have the power to do that, and you should be able to do it in Christ. God's promotion is always the best promotion, not like Diotrephes, who sought to exalt himself, but letting God take the hurts and make a useful Christian out of them. Wait on the Lord, and that will help you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, there are some serious things that we talked about tonight. We've laughed some tonight, but there are some things here that only people who've been hurt can really deal with, and they've got to. They've got to let it go. They've got to get on in their life. Please, Lord, help us to be what Jesus Christ would have us to be. He's our example, that we should follow his steps. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. May we be that kind of Christian. Have your way in our lives now tonight. In Jesus' name I ask it.